There are about 150 references to math in the Bible. You could think about addition. The Lord added to his church, to those being saved, Acts 2.47, there's a subtraction, as in Gideon. He had about 35,000 people that came to his aid to attack the Midianites of about 135,000. But God subtracted that amount all the way to 300, showing the power of God over the power of man's might. You have multiply. And the word of God grew and multiplied. Acts 12, 24. And of course, you have divide. As Jesus says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Or a kingdom divided against itself, Mark chapter 3. Today, I would like to talk about another type of math product, the perpendicular. Now, the perpendicular is two lines that intersect at a 90 degrees. That's a perpendicular. There's a part of it that goes straight up and there's a part of it on a flat plane. The lesson is called Perpendicular Christian. The vertical, the horizontal, and the parallel. So the first point is vertical. Now vertical, from God's point of view, I think we should first talk about is the idea that he reached down. God is not on the same plane as you and I are. He is God. He is way above us. When I talk to kids, I, talk, I try to jump up in the air, say, God's way up there and we're down here on the floor. Though God is so great, he reaches down to us in this vertical relationship that he created. This relationship that, that he wants to be a part of called humanity. Revelation says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. So we can go to creation. We can go to Adam and Eve. We can think about what God did to bring Adam into this world by breathing the breath of life into him and then creating Eve through his rib. I can only imagine what that relationship was from God reaching down to these beloved people before sin came into the world. It must have been something. It must have been beautiful. And then, of course, what did God do? He reached down later to Abraham and gave Abraham a special covenant that had two promises. The land promise that we see fulfilled in the time of King Solomon and the seed promise that we know is fulfilled through Christ Jesus our Lord. And after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we have 
the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses. And again, here's God reaching down, allowing Moses to disseminate this law of Moses that he received on the mountain for his particular people, his chosen people. And then, of course, the greatest vertical jump that we ever have seen so that God can relate and get back into relationship with mankind is none other than Jesus Christ. Can you think about that one just for a second? What God did, who is way up here, wanting a relationship with us sinners, that he would send himself, his own son, to be born of a virgin, to live a life, to bring the message, to die on the cross for our sins, to now sit at the right hand of God. So when we look up towards God and we recognize what He has done for us, what should be our desire? To honor God. To honor Him. But we have examples of those who didn't honor God, like Cain. He did not offer the sacrifice that was God commanded. Abel was pleasing to the Lord, wasn't he? But Cain, not so much. But God talked to Cain. Hey, sin is crouching at the door. You must master it. What did God doing again? He's reaching down. He's trying to take care of Cain to love him. But Cain doesn't honor God. And he shows his anger against God by how he treats his brother. And he killed him. Over and over again, we get the idea, especially from Jesus and the apostles, the Lord thy God is one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And the second commandment that is part of that whole thing that Jesus said is the greatest, love thy neighbor as thyself. And in both cases, you see, Cain kind of blew it both ways. The Hebrew writer says, But we see him who for a little while was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. So as we recognize what Jesus really has done, what God has done, by even becoming lower than the angels, by becoming one of us, by being around us, we recognize He reached down. His relationship is toward us. So what should be our response? Well, we should always look up. Pray up and stand up to honor God for what He has done in this relationship. The second point is the horizontal. <clears throat> 
the idea of reaching across. The Beatitudes that is written down for us that come from Jesus is a great example of this as well. There's one in particular. He says in Matthew chapter 5, 23 through 24, if you know your brother has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar, go and make amends, and then come back and do your sacrifice. Now, you have to remember that the Gospels is a time when it's referenced to when Jesus lived under the law. So the sacrificial thing they're talking about is at the temple where they bring the lambs and the other things to sacrifice. It could be for a whole burnt offering, a sin offering, a thanksgiving offering. But just imagine this moment Jesus is talking about is a thanksgiving offering. The time of thanksgiving is a time of joy, a time of recognizing what God has done for them vertically and what we are trying to do with God vertically as well. We're trying to honor him in our worship. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And if it's a thanksgiving offering, then you should already have a good relationship with God before you offer it. So what's Jesus saying here? You know somebody has something against you? Well, we know people have things against us all the time. But this one in particular seems to be, hey, I can go take care of that. You've got to recognize that everybody is probably in Jerusalem. So if you've got a problem with somebody who's your neighbor 20 miles away, well, this is a good time to take care of it because we're all feasting and enjoying the relationship. So go tie that lamb up at the post that's there for the priests. Go take care of it. Come on back. And God will recognize that wonderful opportunity to worship him. In the body of Christ, we have passages called one another passages. And there's quite a few of them. And they deal with things specifically talking about to Christians one another, each other, with peace. One another, each other, with washing feet. One another, each other, with love, with showing honor, with living in harmony, not passing judgment, at least in a way that doesn't please God. Instructing others, one another in each other in comfort, in serving, in bearing burdens. Why? Because we are a family. And family takes care of each other. Remember, Jesus also said, love your neighbor as yourself. And you guys here are my neighbors. Now, outside of the body, does that mean those people are not our neighbors? Well, that's a good question. Does God 
have an interest in how you treat people on this horizontal plane who are not a part of the body of Christ. Is love your neighbor limited to only those here? You remember the story in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37? A lawyer comes up to Jesus, seems to be asking a similar thing that a lot of people have. What's the greatest commandment? What do you say? You should love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. Good, good, good job, Mr. Lawyer. Go do that. And then he wanted to justify himself. But who is my neighbor? Ah, is it only those who have the same understanding that I do? I can see the lawyer probably thinking that, you lawyers out there. Is it just those in my immediate family? Is it just those who have a level of understanding that I have? So Jesus brings up the so wonderful story about the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Ah, the priest and the Levite, you know, are top-notch, right? And, here's the Samar and here is the man who was beaten by robbers. The priest and the Samaritan both come up to this individual. One of them is concerned about his being unclean ritually. So he doesn't want to deal with that man. The other one has a similar reason. And here comes a Samaritan later, and what does he do? Well, he takes care of that man, doesn't know who he is, pours wine, pours uh, oil on him to take care of his wounds, puts him in an inn, takes care of the payment the next day, and gets that man healed up so he can go on his way. And Jesus said, all right. What's the moral of this story? Who is the neighbor? Well, the one who showed mercy. The one who showed compassion. You see, the priest and the Levite couldn't determine if this particular person was a Jew or someone else. But I think Jesus is trying to get across the idea of this. The Levite and the priest seem more concerned with what? The vertical. In a ritual way. I don't want to harm my ritual abilities to worship and honor God. So they left out half of the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because even a ritually clean person who helps somebody, after they go through a ritual of cleansing, they're clean again. But they didn't want to do that. 
So this lawyer got the idea. There's more to life than just one or the other. It's both. It's both. The third point is parallel. You might be thinking, hold on, I've gone to math class. Parallel has nothing to do with perpendicular. Why? Because parallel doesn't intersect like perpendicular does. So I think about the man who was born blind. You remember him? John chapter 9, verse 34. He was healed by Jesus. What did he do wrong that made him sin? Said the, asked the disciples. Nothing he did, just something so that God can be glorified. Ah. So he's healed. And he's brought before the council, the Sanhedrin. And they questioned him over and over and over again about who this Jesus was. You see, they already declared that anyone who says he's a disciple of Jesus will be kicked out of the synagogue. And they said, we know this man is a sinner. And he, said, he responds, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. But then what? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. You were born in utter sin, came the reply. And you would teach us? And they cast him out. John chapter 9, verse 34. You see, these particular rulers were interesting, interested in the perpendicular because they saw themselves constantly above the riffraff of common society. You were born in utter sin. We were not. Therefore, we are your superiors. We will never intersect with you, let alone come down to you on purpose. What are they doing? Leaving out half of the commandment kind of leaves out the whole thing, doesn't it? And you could probably argue they weren't doing very good with the first part of it. The Gnostics, the Docetists that we study in 1 John and John and things like that, they were of a similar quality. Maybe not with the authority that these leaders of the Jews had, but in Christ, they claimed to have this superior knowledge. We've had an existential experience that allows us to understand what you common people cannot. We're your superiors. John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits or the teachings to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets or false teachers have gone out into the world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Here he's talking about these people who claim Christianity, but they claim to understand something about Jesus and other things that the apostles and the prophets did not teach. 
And John says, and the apostles say, and the Holy Spirit says, Jesus was God in the flesh, in the flesh, whereas these Gnostics would say opposite giving them the right to do whatever type of sinful nature they wanted to do, believing that they would not be punished for it. You can see how their theology is building. Very sinful. And John says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge because the apostles shared it and we all can understand it. The docetists saw themselves as a parallel. But if you look at the picture of the train track, I like that. What they thought was parallel this way is in fact this way. We're all human. If we think we're greater than others, this way, our train's going to fall off the track. We're like this. So John says, you don't deny who Jesus really is. He is God. He is man. He became flesh. The reality is, though, that God is on another plane of existence. I mean, really. How far above us is He? I don't think we can figure that out. It's so great. But as He has a healthy relationship within the Godhead... He seeks a healthy relationship with mankind. That's our God. That's our God. Yeah, he's superior in every way, but relationally he wants to be with us. And we want to be with him. We reach up to him in worship, in honor, to show our love and desire to follow Him. At the same time, we must reach out to all humans who are our equals. Every human is our equal. The reality is, everyone needs God. And that makes us equal. Oh sure, some of us might have certain knowledge that others haven't learned yet. But we don't hide it and say we're special. We share it so that all can be in that relationship with God. So all can grow up in the standard of unity, as Ephesians brings out. Overall, I think we have to understand where it all started. He reached down. He reached down so that we can unite with Him and unite with one another, especially those who are in Christ. John Michael, would you read that passage again? 
But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The lesson is called Perpendicular Christian. Let's uh, recognize our vertical, let's recognize our horizontal, and let's be aware of being parallel. God is good, and He wants us to recognize the greatest command of all. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, thy strength, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If there's anybody who has any needs, prayer requests this morning, please come forward now as together we stand and sing.